The point of conversion is that moment when you are born again. Lord, we are grateful for what you have obtained for us, the salvation through Jesus Christ. So I ask today, Lord, that you would express your word in such a way that our minds and our human intellect would understand. We would come to understand our faith and our salvation and in a way to use um, what we know and what we understand to bring others to salvation. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The point of conversion. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. All of Christianity believes that God determined beforehand whom he would save. And the nuances in that, we'll get to it when we get to it. But we all believe, everyone in the Christian faith believes that God determines who gets saved. Some believe that God determines who gets saved, but he does not determine who does not get saved. But that's the point that we'll have to go back to at another time. But from the time of Augustine, church father, we all come to a theological belief that it is God that determines who gets saved. The basis for that is in Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. He lays out here what's called the order of salvation or ordo salutis. Verse 29 of chapter 8, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. The Apostle Paul lay out a framework for salvation, and it begins with God's predeterminate counsel. He determined who will get saved, and then subsequently, whom he predestinate, then he also call, whom he call, then he justify, whom he justify, then he glorify. So these are the theology of a salvation, or soteriology, is based on this particular sequence. It begins with, why does God do this? Why would he save us? And the answer to that question, to the question why, is for the glory of the Father. God does everything for his own glory so that he glorify himself. You ask the question, why does God save us? For his glory. Why would we be saved? Or why would saving us his glory? For that, let's turn to John chapter 15 and take a look at this chapter. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's purpose is to glorify himself. How does he glorify himself? He glorifies himself by glorifying his son, Jesus Christ. How does he do that? He does that by sending his son incarnate in the flesh so that we can see him glorified. And when we see him glorified, we can then be chosen of the Father to be conformed to that glorific image. I think that's the word I just created. <laughs> well, right, it, it makes sense to me. And when we conform to the image of God's Son, then we are glorified. Because at the end of our salvation is our own glorification. And when we are glorified, then Christ is glorified, then God is glorified. And how does God glorify in the world? And God is glorified in the world through the fruitfulness of Christ. So Christ being incarnate, first fruit of righteousness, and is glorified because the branches bear fruit. And the glory of the Father, who is the gardener, his joy or his glory is when the garden that he planted is fruitful. And that is how the Father is glorified. In John 15, 8, we read that, Herein my Father is glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So God is glorified when we bear fruit. What does it mean for us to bear fruit? 
let me turn your mind away from salvation for a minute and turn your mind toward bearing fruit, meaning to become more like Jesus Christ. That's bearing fruit. I don't believe that the gospel talks about quantity more so than God is trying to make us into a quality image of the Lord Jesus Christ. The message in Romans chapter 8, 29 says that, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, meaning those who are born in Christ, not just looking like him, but is like him, conform to that image. And that is what brings God's the glory. God's purpose is to show his glory through Jesus Christ. And to show the glory through Jesus Christ, the Father glorifies Jesus Christ in us. So when we are glorified is when we conform to the image of God's Son. And God the Father is the great gardener, and when we bear fruit, meaning we become that fruit which is the firstborn among many brethren, then the Father is glorified. When He looks at this garden and we all bear the image of Jesus Christ, that's how the Father is glorified. Now, Jesus Christ is the true vine in John 15, 1, I am the true vine, that my Father is the husbandman, meaning He is the gardener. And Jesus Christ is the only true vine in the Father's garden. And we are grafted into the garden and have our being or life coming from the vine. So God has elected those whom he will graft into the vine and will receive life from the vine. We are not the root, we are not the vine itself, but we are grafted into Christ. Talks about the adoption of those who are saved. As they grow and become conformed to the image of Christ, which is the first fruit of God, we become fruitful because we become more like Christ or Christ formed in us. Grafted branches, we are not the true vine, we are grafted into the vine and therefore making us part of the body of Jesus Christ because we are grafted into the true vine. Romans eleven seventeen. We are grafted, the Apostle Paul says that we are grafted into the olive tree. So those that have been grafted into the vine have these characteristics. Let me point you back to John 15, starting with verse 9. You see that, as the Father hath loved me, so I love you, continue ye in my love. So the first quality or first characteristic of those that are grafted into the vine is that they have love. The second characteristic is they have obedience. In the verse after that, If ye keep my commandment, ye shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. So through love, we obey. It is not because we obey because that's the right thing to do. We obey because we love God. And that is the second characteristic of being part of the vine is that we obey the commandments of God. And the third characteristic is that they have the fullness of joy. In verse 11, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So the third characteristic of being grafted into the vine is that we have joy. There is life, there's joy in us coming from the life of love, of obedience, and then when we know that the Father is pleased with us, there's joy in our lives. And lastly, all the way down to last verse, 27. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Lastly, being a part of the vine makes us a witness, a credible witness to God. And that is what causes us to be fruitful. 
is the love that grows in us brings obedience to the commandment of God, brings joy, and that joy will bring the witness to those who are around, and that they can see Christ through us, and that becomes the witness. And that's how God is glorified. When men turn to God, and that Christ form in them, and that the vine becomes fruitful, and the gardener is happy. And that is how God is glorified. How does this happen? At which point will the witness or the transmission or the preaching, the gospel, cause people to turn to God, being converted and being grafted into the vine? In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins might be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. First, the gospel comes through hearing. And now you would ask, what about people who can't hear? What about babies? The Westminster Catechism will tell you what happens to them. I'll leave that out from the message today. Hearing the gospel. First, it is God that elects us. So he predetermined who will get saved, and then he elects us. And when he elects us, he elects us through the Holy Spirit, or by the Holy Spirit, and through the preaching of the gospel, because the gospel has power to save. The preaching of the gospel, in preaching the word, the Holy Spirit comes and elects. So think about people sitting in this room when there are some people who hear the gospel and won't respond, and there are some people who hear the gospel and respond. And those that respond, God has elected them and the Holy Spirit is electing them, choosing them. Or God predetermined that they would respond and the Holy Spirit will elect them. And when that election happened, that's called the calling of God. The Holy Spirit calls us what happened is after we have been called, there's a process called the regeneration. Once we are regenerated, then we, then we have faith. When we have faith, then we can repent. When we repent, then we are justified. When we are justified, then we are adopted into the house of God. So first of all, hearing the gospel. Let's go back. The elects will hear the gospel and respond. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 48, we read, And when the Gentiles heard this, meaning they've heard Paul's preaching, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord as many were ordained to eternal life. It is clear in this passage that when they hear the gospel, those that were ordained to eternal life respond. They were glad. Reception of the gospel when they were preordained to hear and respond to that. The elect will hear the gospel. I will explain what the gospel is. They will have to accept two things. Number one, that they are sinner. And number two, that Christ is the Savior. So two things that they have to accept once they hear the gospel. When the apostle Peter told the people to repent and be converted, he must be speaking to an audience that recognize that they are sinners. Repent and be converted. That God will hold them in account of their sin. Many people will not respond because they don't think and they don't believe that they are sinners. So unless you believe that you are a sinner, or you are a sinner, then there's no point in turning to God. Because if you don't think that you have sin, then you don't need to be saved. But in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Whether we believe this or reject this, all have sinned. And the Bible tells us that we have all sinned. And you cannot receive the gospel unless you accept that you are a sinner and you need a savior. Okay, number two, condition in which you can answer the call is that you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior. The Savior is God's glory in the form of a human. Each person turned to God's Son, the prophetic voice from the throne of God becomes 
real because that prophetic voice in Isaiah 6 3 says holy 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 is the Lord God of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory God's purpose again is to show his glory and the reason why he saves us because he wants to fill this earth with his glory and the way he does that is to save us when he saves us and we come to Christ then we would be glorified and when we are glorified then the earth will be full of his glory Going back to the reason why God saves us, so that God would be glorified through us being glorified in Christ. The revealed glory of God comes to bear our sin, and the revealed glory of God is the person Jesus Christ. That is why no one that's born of first Adam can be glorified, because they have been tainted by sin. So Christ has to incarnate, meaning God, the second person in the Trinity, has to come down and be born in the flesh, so that the glory of God can be presented to us holy. In Isaiah 53 verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are all sinners. Those that have been called accept this. We are sinners. Where do our sins go? And here's God's solution to that. God sent his son, and he takes the sin from the sinner, those who believe that they are sinners, and take that sin and put on his own son. Now our sin is then now put on Jesus Christ. We'll talk about, not today, but the theories of atonement another time. But it's a fascinating subject, whether or not, uh, how does God take our sin? Now that we sinners, we accept that we are sinners, we accept that Christ is the one that will save us, will become the sacrifice for us. Our sin will become his, and now, we accept that. The third thing that we need to do is that we believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Jesus Christ is my Savior. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The Lord Jesus Christ became the sacrifice for sinner. We have to accept that. When we accept that we are sinner, we accept that Jesus Christ is the Savior. That translates to our belief in Jesus Christ. That is what belief means. Belief means that we accept that Jesus Christ is the one who saves us. John chapter 1 verse 12, But as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Believing in Christ means that we receive him. How do you receive him? How do you receive him so that you would become sons of God? This is the doctrine of adoption, which is the last step here. First, we have to pass that first two stages, which is we believe that we are a sinner, or accept that we are a sinner, accept that Jesus Christ is a Savior. Now we believe that God has sent him to save us. That's where we need to put our faith in. That's what we believe in. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to save me. He died for me. The central doctrine of the Reformation is that Christ died for me. Salvation comes when man hears the gospel and turns to look upon Christ. This is called the point of conversion. When you hear the gospel, when you believe that you are a sinner, you believe that Christ is the Savior, the point where you are saved is when you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is the point of conversion. Again, now let me summarize the three things that we happen. First, you accept that you are a sinner. Second, you accept that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And number three, this is the only action, believe that God sent His Son to save you and receive Him. As many as receive Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Receiving God's salvation simply means that you believe the gospel is true. Question, what is the gospel? 
Let's turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. Three things. Christ died for my sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. Can't get any simpler than that, but it's not simple to do. It's simple to understand and explain. If we believe that, if we believe that Jesus Christ died for my sin, that Jesus Christ was buried, he rose again on the third day. That is the gospel. And when you believe that, the next thing that you need to do is to call on Jesus Christ. The action that accompanies belief is to call upon Christ. How do you believe in the gospel? What, what is the mode in which the gospel is communicated to you? Simply put, the gospel has to be declared to us. The Apostle Paul says that the gospel was declared unto you. In another word, it has to be preached. The gospel preached unto you, you heard the gospel, hearing the gospel, and then you accept the gospel, you believe in Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, gives you three steps that you need to do to, in response to hearing the gospel and believe. First, hearing Christ through preaching of the gospel. Secondly, believe on Christ whom you have heard. And then number three, call on Christ whom you have believed. So those are the three things that the Apostle Paul laid out in Romans 10, 14. Put this in reverse. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? If you take this and you reverse it, that's what I said. Hearing Christ through the preaching of the gospel. And then once you hear the gospel preached, then you can respond by believing on Christ that you have heard. And after that, you can call on Christ whom you have believed. So key point in contention here. Some reformed thoughts switch them because they believe that you have to have faith first before you are regenerated. But according to this passage, this verse right here, how can they call on him whom they have not believed? For me, I think that the Reformer got it right in putting the regeneration step before faith. Okay, so how can they call on him whom they have not believed? So you can't call unless you believe. So that's why you have to believe in the Son of God, then you can call on him. What does that mean? It means that you have to be regenerated before you can believe. So that's why regeneration has to happen before faith. So calling on Christ, there are two parts to calling on Christ. One is confession, and two is profession. Peter instructed those that witnessed the healing of that lame man at the beautiful gate, or the gate that's called beautiful. He ended his sermon with this. He said, repent and be converted. Why are you so marvel at what God has done? And he points people back to the gospel and said, repent and be converted that your sin may be forgiven you. There are a couple of things that accompany confession. And the first thing, part of confession is that you have to repent that your sin might be forgiven. So you have to confess that I am a sinner. The time of refreshing will come. It means that God is restoring life to you. We lost that life when Adam sinned. But 
the time of refreshing is when God will restore life to you. And the third thing is that Jesus Christ will come unto you. That is the act of confession, then Christ will come upon you. The second part of calling on Christ is profession. Back to Romans chapter 10 again, from verse 8 to 10, and we read, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart that is the word of faith which we preach. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So the profession of faith in the calling on Christ, number one is proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. And number two, that you believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. From believing in the gospel comes calling on Christ. And calling on Christ is, means to confess. And confession is when your sin is forgiven, life is given to you, and that Jesus Christ comes and makes you new. The second part is profession, which is proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, when you say you proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, it is not a one-time thing. It is your life continually proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is when people look at you and they know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That is your proclamation, your life. Anywhere throughout your Christian life, they see you and they see that <clears throat> proclamation that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Not any point in your life when they look at you and they think that you're a child of the devil. They look at you and they see Jesus Christ is your Lord. You obey Him in everything that you do. And secondly, that you truly believe in what the Bible has says. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There's no other God that God raised Him from the dead. And when we die, we'll be raised to be like Him. And that is the point of conversion. When God calls, when you are regenerated, when you call on Him in faith, when you believe, when you repent, you are justified, and then you are adopted in the household of God. Okay, let me conclude with this, laying foundation for us for the next set of messages in the order of salvation. So first, the order is this. God predetermined who He will save. And then He sends His Spirit through the preaching of the Word of God to elect those that will hear the gospel and respond. That is called the calling. And God calls them out, the people whom He have chosen, into what's called regeneration. The word regeneration simply means born again. This is the part when the Holy Spirit selects you, you are born again. Remember that story between Nicodemus and Jesus Christ. How can this be? You know, he's thinking he has to get himself born again. But Jesus Christ responds, it's impossible with men, but it's not impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. So we know that it has to be the work of God. It's not your own. You can't say, I want to be born again. It doesn't work. God has to make you this is where grace comes in. Remakes your heart so that you can now believe in Jesus Christ. Because when the gospel is preached, not everyone who hears the gospel will respond. Only those that get regenerated at the moment of the Holy Spirit elect them, then they get their regeneration. When you have a new heart, your ability to believe in God gets restored when you are regenerated. Before you were a man of flesh, now you are a person of spirit. Now you can respond in faith to the gospel which you have heard. When you respond in faith, meaning when you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and believe that you are a sinner, the natural thing that will happen is repentance. You repent of your sin, you accept Christ as your Savior, and that 
will cause God to justify you because now Jesus Christ is your Lord. God justify you. And that is a justification process. Once you are justified, God adopts you into his family. And that is called the doctrinal adoption. Once you are adopted, now here is the part where the Protestant theology kind of diverged between the Methodists and the rest, and that is the sanctification process. Sanctification process is the part where what you do in your life will make you, to use the term of the early evangelical movement in America, the holiness aspect of a Christian. Okay, so that's sanctification. In the traditional Protestant theology, sanctification means that you become more and more like Jesus Christ through good work. Once you are sanctified or in the process of sanctification, you are preserved in Christ. All that believes in Jesus Christ will never fall away. If you have true faith, that is. And we'll talk about anxieties of, of faith. And once you are preserved in Christ, then you will be glorified in the end. And the glorification process is that when you die, you are resurrected into the glorified body.